0: We're in the book of Isaiah again. We were in Isaiah last week as well in this topic of the promises of God. And it's interesting. I've gotten, it's like, I like when I get feedback from people over, you know, unsolicited. I I don't like to go and say, hey, what do you think? You know, or that. But I love it when I can, like, we've covered a topic or we've done a promise of God. And then in the days and weeks to come, I hear some of you talk about those promises and they they stick out, and that's kind of what we're doing here, is just rehearsing things that we probably already know are promises, but it's good to hear it again, and we look at verses of scripture that some of them are the, their favorite verses of people, some of them have them written out somewhere and hanging in their house, or something like that, and that's good, I would say do more of that, we're told to do that, Um but it should be deep in our hearts. And these promises have been a blessing. And one of the promises that comes up time and time again throughout Scripture is the promise of God's peace. The promise of God's peace. And we're going to read just the one verse here. And it says this in Isaiah 26:3 You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Let's read that one more time. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now, I want to go down through this verse in the next half hour or so and just kind of look at some of the key phrases and words and then branch out to some other verses and kind of cross-reference. And as I said, these may be very familiar to you, but I have this tendency. and I, when, I, when I preach a sermon or do a Bible study, however we do it, it has to go through me first that's just the natural way it works right because you're preparing for something and i know those of you that teach and know you know you open up the word of god to share to somebody you know it has to go to you first and that's one of the great privileges of of doing what i have to do sometimes i counted a great chore and a burden sometimes but then in the end it's much more of a blessing because i wouldn't have gone through scripture and done those things except the lord has me doing it right and he always blesses his word. And he does that. But I'm one of these guys that I, I can I can worry a little bit about things. I try to hide it. My wife sees it more than others probably. Because she, she has to live with me. And uh, yeah, you guys pray for her too, right? I know that helps. But But we have those things that we do. And really worry is the opposite of the peace that's talked about here. And we're going to look at that in this passage. But we live in a world where... Uh, exponentially there is less and less peace it's just going that way and i can't say that things have changed or been much different in other times in history but i would say in relative to us and to our western society and our culture there is definitely a lot of lack of peace at a heart level and lack of peace in society in general and you know suicide rates are on the rise and you have all these uh, issues that are rising with people trying to find mental health and and those kind of stuff and and it doesn't come as a result of just us ordering our lives but it has to come from the lord he's ultimately the one who brings peace and i would say that's really the first and foremost where we need to go with that the bible says here you lord will keep The word for keep is just that, it means to guard. And God is the great guardian of his peace. It's a good thing because I can't be a guard of peace in your life fully. I can try to. I try that with my children who are now almost all grown up. I've got Lydia who's looking at her final maybe semester of high school ahead of her. Um, and I'm like wow you know like where'd this happen right and but I try to pass on some of that peace within our home hopefully to them and all that but I realize they're going out into a world that's anything but peaceful and and in reality I, I, I can't bring that peace only the Lord can and he can do that in the midst of great trials he goes on to say he will keep him in perfect peace perfect peace and I like that The word for perfect peace, it's actually um, the Hebrew phrase, and you can see it up there in Hebrew, right at the end, and you read Hebrew this way, going that way. It's the word, well, first of all, what's Hebrew for peace? Shalom. Okay, so you see that underneath peace, you see shalom. What's the word next to it? Shalom. So you know what, in the Hebrew it reads, he will keep you in shalom, shalom. Isn't that great? Perfect peace. It was Spurgeon who said, God never halves things. He always doubles things. You know, I'm glad. When it comes to his blessings, he always doubles. Not only does he give us peace, but he gives us peace, peace. And in Hebrew, when things are emphasized in a double wording like that, it's for that emphasis of that. Not just a a general peace, but he gives peace, peace. Shalom, shalom. Oh, I'm thankful that that's the way he is. And really what we want to talk about tonight, and um, and in, uh, by the way, a New Testament equivalent to this, and there's several verses, but Second Thessalonians 3.16 says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. And as Paul writes that to the Thessalonians, and of course that was a church that was going through some great struggles and trials and, they were being pressed from within and without. And here he says, "The Lord of peace, that's the first piece, will give you peace. That's the second peace. And that's the way the Lord works. Well, here's the practical part of our lesson tonight. Um, God keeps us in perfect peace. And you say, well, how does that happen? and when can that happen in our lives? And the verse kind of uses this, it breaks out in this outline that comes out of this verse anyways. God keeps us in perfect peace when we keep our minds mindful. I you say, what do you mean by that? Minds mindful. Well, he says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is what? Stayed on you. And that idea of having our minds intentionally, our thoughts drawn to the things of God. Uh, it's easy to get away from those thoughts of God and all of a sudden being consumed with the things of this world sometimes they're just distractions sometimes they're worries sometimes they're things other people press into your mind and he says I want your mind fixed or stayed upon you we sang that song tonight and that refrain in that chorus has stayed upon Jehovah right hearts are fully blessed finding as he promised Perfect peace and rest. Sounds like the hymn writer was reading from the book of Isaiah in chapter 26, and he was reading that same phrase. He keeps us in perfect peace. We have to be stayed upon Jehovah. What does that mean? Well, it means first and foremost that we are to lean on Him. That's what the word stay means. It means to lean like It was interesting, it was a word in Hebrew that was used if somebody was riding on an animal, like a donkey or some other beast of burden, a horse or something like that. If you were riding on an animal, you're putting your full weight upon that animal. And here, he's using it in the term that you keep your mind resting on God, on the Lord, on Yah, on Yahweh, Jehovah, Jehovah. And that's what he's talking about in Isaiah 26, three. Are you resting on him? And uh, that's how we find perfect peace. In Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And that is part of that. And anxiousness or worry is really the opposite of resting on the Lord, isn't it? It's sort of the opposite of faith. We'll look at this phrase more in in Philippians in a bit. Several years ago, a professor put together a study and he came up with these stats. I've seen them quoted in many different places. I don't know how accurate they are, but they probably are pretty accurate. And he said this of people, um, and he studied things that people worry about. And he found this in his research. 40% of what people worry about never happens so the things you think are going to happen to you never do 40% of the time 30% of our worries concern things in the past that we can't change Hmm. 12% are needless worries about health like you worry oh no you know I'm gonna die because I stood too close to my cell phone or something like that you're worried about that you know well maybe that will happen I don't know uh, don't be distracted crossing the road. That might cause your death too, right? Those kind of things. But but needless worry. Sometimes we do things we're just worried about for no reason at all. It may have nothing to do with our health. Ten uh, percent are about petty little issues, things that really don't amount to a hill of beans, as they say. And we have those worries as well. And only eight percent. He found eight percent of worry was legitimate. That means 92% of the time people worry about things that they don't need to worry about. I find myself sometimes in that group of people, right, that is worrying about the needless things and the little things and worried about the lesser important things and worrying about the things that never happen or never will happen to me um, or concerned about the things of the past, which I can't change at all. I can only move forward with those things. Worry, um, and someone put it this way, is, is sort of practical atheism. In other words, we practice atheism when we worry about stuff because we aren't relying on God, which is faith. And we practice atheism. I'm not saying you're an atheist if you worry, but I'm saying you're practicing like an atheist. Does that make sense? And we can do that. Um, you can worry or you can worship but you can't worry and worship. And you might say, well, it may drive us to worship. Amen. But it should drive us to trust is what it should do as well. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus put it this way, assuredly I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Now he's talking about kingdom language here and and these things, but I want to look at what he says about it. He says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. There are enduring things, the word of God is one of them. He says this, But take heed to yourselves. In other words, look inside sometimes, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. We prayed for some people tonight. Some we know better than others. Some have had these things sneak up on them. Sometimes it does with believers too, doesn't it? The cares of this life. He throws that in there. Jesus says, and don't let that day come on you unexpectedly. Be ready. Be joyful. Wow. Uh, That's part of the attitude that we should have. Jesus teaches this elsewhere in Matthew 13, the parable of the seeds. Remember, he says, now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. How many have had that in their lives? You've shared the gospel with somebody and you've pled with them to, to trust the Lord. And they. I've had people say this, that, that's good for you but not for me. I like my life the way it is and and they have everything planned in their life and it's all about them or people around them and not about the next step. And sometimes I just want to stop and shake somebody and say, but what's your exit strategy from this life? Because you're going to exit this life someday and you're going to face the hell, uh, fires of hell if you're in your own sin or you're going to, face the glories of heaven if you've trusted christ those are the two options but the cares of this life have choked so many they heard the same word they heard the same message the same gospel some partook of the same atmosphere sitting in a church somewhere and listening and communing with people and yet reject that beware of that don't become unfruitful 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Aren't you glad that we can do that? We can cast our cares upon him. In other words, guard your thoughts. Let your mind be stayed upon him. That's what Isaiah says in that. And by the way, as your heart is, or your mind, is how you'll act. I mentioned that this morning but there's a bible verse for that proverbs 23 7 for as he thinks in his heart so is he eat and drink he says to you but in his heart is not with you and that is a very simple principle that whatever is in your in your heart shows up in your actions or someone put it this way whatever's um in the well will come up in the bucket right that's the way it is if you're filled with worry that's what it's going to do lots of different things go back to Philippians where he says be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God now you most of you probably know what's the next verse and the peace of God which passes or surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus I like that because that's coupled, a New Testament verse with Isaiah. And Isaiah says, whose mind is stayed upon you. How is my mind stayed upon you? Very simply, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I I find it of the Lord tonight that as we opened our service, there are prayer requests on your heart tonight for people. And people you're concerned about. And things we're concerned about, and and I love that that we're concerned about people because what God's most concerned about people. Oh, He wants us other things too, in our lives, you know. For He's he's our loving heavenly Father, and He wants all of our lives uh, to be such that we are trusting Him in these things. But He's really concerned about people. He wants people saved. We prayed. We gave thanks. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say this. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. There it is again, God of peace. Sometimes our minds are not stayed upon Jehovah. Instead, they're stayed upon everything else but. And Paul gives this little application, very practical. Your mind's filled with worry? Think on these things. Right? whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, right? It goes right down through that whole list. That's what we should be doing. We should be filling our minds with, with thoughts like that, stirring on. I'll tell you one of the greatest. I, I love watching or listening to or reading books on uh, biographies of Christians, um, missionary biographies. Those Sometimes they're just little short things, snippets of people's lives. I have a book up on my shelf. It's called From uh, Jerusalem to Erie and Jireh, and it's the history of missions in, in Christianity. Uh, it's not obviously all-inclusive, but it highlights a lot of things from the very early days of the church all the way up to more modern times. And I love reading through that. It's, it's a, it was a textbook originally really given for mission students, but, and it's a great big thick book, but I read through that, and it's got these stories of people that went out and they followed the call of God. They trusted him. And, and some of them were, you know, I mean, there were men, there were women, there were young people, there were older people, there were people that went very dangerous places in the world, some to very routine and, you know, places that it wasn't so dangerous. But they all had the drive to, to serve the Lord and, and it just stirs me up to want to do the same thing because other Christians have gone on before me to do it. That's thinking on good things. Or you can turn around and read, you know, books on how people worry or something like that. And guess what you're going to do? Just do the same exact thing. Your mind is not stayed upon those things. Or find entertainment in lesser valued things. And That doesn't mean you have to only read missionary stories. <laughs> but but sometimes we, we read things that, that just cause us more and more angst, angst and anxiety. Um, it's easy to do that. Or we entertain ourselves with those things. And the world's filled with it. And we wonder why the world's really in trouble. Well, that's why. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. Study people like Paul, the apostle, and others. These do, and the God of peace will be with you. Secondly, God keeps us in perfect peace when we keep our wills willing. We keep our wills willing. By the way, this outline came from Pastor Brian Bill, and, um, and I took his outline because it's excellent on this whole study. But um, I like this, what he says that, keep your wills willing. You see, sometimes we're just not willing. Um, we rather worry than to just allow the Lord to work in our life, right? Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Sometimes we're just not willing to pray, or willing to gather in prayer or willing to bring our petitions before a holy god who does answer and he's very concerned for us he answers our prayer that has always been a tr- problem probably from the very first time that man had to pray to god is he probably had some worry that god would not hear me and that's never been the case god has always heard he does that The peace of God will be with you, right? The peace of God. Make sure you're willing and you continue to do that. And that aspect of our will, that's the part of us that sort of yields ourselves to the Lord. And we submit to the Lord in, in, His, in the, what he calls us to do. Third thing here. When we keep our lives living. Living. And I might add on the end of that, for the Lord. My wife puts it this way. She says, don't die before you're dead. And and that's true. Like, in other words, we need to live. There are many today, In I'm talking to Christians here, you know, I'm talking, they live their life as if it really, the worst is yet to come, <laughs> not the best, and, and live their life guarded, wondering if I, Boy, if I ventured out and did something a little risky for the Lord, I even just told my neighbor about him, somehow that's going to make my life harder. You know what? We miss out on living for the Lord just because we don't want to. I will tell you in my own life, and I can only talk for myself, my life has really been one of a lot of adventure and I mean that and it's not that I seek adventure but I think that's sort of how my personality is I like adventure and I think all of us like that I'm not, I don't like sitting around being bored and I, have told, I tell you this since I became a Christian in 1988 the places God has brought me and the things that I have seen and the things that I've experienced because of Jesus Christ has just blown my mind away and it's what, what happened to it by the way you wonder where it went that's what happened but I, I have been able to travel in a lot of places uh, and seen people in different cultures and worshiped with Christians who don't even speak my language. Who am I? Boy, that grew up in Quimby. You know, most people in Rochester County don't know where Quimby is, and people in the St. John Valley don't know where Quimby is. You know, it's in Winterville. And I think, Lord, how is it that you, do, you allow me to see that and to watch your hand at work among the nations and people? and answer prayer, and answer things in my life that only God could answer, over and over and over and over again. And sometimes I, I can't say every day is like that, like not every day is like woohoo, you know, but it really, when I look back, I see this, how God led me. And listen, he's leading you, and, and many of you have those same stories, and even if he's kind of left you, not, you haven't traveled the world, that may not be your you know, plan or his plan for you. But I say this, that what God is able to do in your life, if you just go to him, and live for him. If you're living for him, living for Jesus, I'll tell you, he shows up. <laughs> he's already there. But listen, we show up with him is really what the, the better theology behind that. We understand who we're living for. And it makes this life worth living in that. Don't die before you're dead. And by the way, for the believer, we're never going to die permanently. We'll go through physical death, but we just start living at that point, really living in the glories of heaven. And that is what awaits us. Make sure you're trusting him. Back there in Isaiah He says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And then he says, trust in the Lord, how long? Forever. Forever. Jesus came to give us eternal life. And we have eternal life in him. And you can live for him forever. Boy, it doesn't get much better than that, does it? Live and make sure your life is a life that's living you can do that and he says for in yah the lord is everlasting strength the word yah there it's the root or the the beginning of yahweh right the name of god yah is a shortened version of that and here he's saying trust in god trust in the lord trust in the one who is the self-existent one the one who is the lord of lords the king of kings The creator God, the covenant making God, trust in Yahweh, the self-existent one. I'm glad for that. And he says, the Lord is everlasting strength. Think about that because as you go through life, um, you have a season of being strong, right? And then you get older and you're not quite as strong as you used to be. And there are people today walking around, and I, I think of that, you know, um, that they're, they're, you know, I look at my dad. My dad is uh, 76, and he's always been a strong man and all that, but he tells me, he says, wait till you get to be 76, you know. Wait till you get to my age. And, and my dad exercises every day, he does that, but he doesn't have the strength he did at my age, 53 He doesn't have the strength that he had when he was in his 40s or his 30s. And I look at that, and that's the natural progression of physical health and strength. But the Lord promises to give us strength eternally. The word there, everlasting strength. Here it is again in my interlinear, but you have, it says there, for Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. And you see there's two Hebrew words underneath that. And the word for strength there is Sir, which is a Hebrew word for rock. He is literally the rock of eternity or the rock of ages. That's what we sang tonight. The song Rock of Ages. That hymn was written by uh, a man named uh, Augustus Toplady. It's quite a name, Toplady. I don't know. But... um, he only lived thirty years. I think he was born around 1740. He died in 1778 in Britain. Um, he had converted to Methodism. Uh, he had been a, a staunch opponent to John Wesley, who was sort of the founder of the Methodist movement. All of that, but um, he he wrote like articles to be published in um, various would be newspapers and those kind of things back then, print form. And he wrote, and and in one he wrote, and he included a prayer, and in that prayer he talked about the Rock of Ages. And later, as the story goes, uh, sometime around that time, and by the way, like I said, he only lived to be about 38 years old. He died of uh, tuberculosis. But he wrote that song as he was journeying somewhere, and he got into a very narrow gorge, and a very vicious storm came and it was just pelting him with the wind and everything else, and so much so that the only way he could take refuge from it was to go up into the rocks uh, that surrounded that gorge, and he hid himself in the cleft of the rock. And that. but he talks about the rock of ages, you know, and um, boy, that that is so true. A cleft for me, rock of ages, everlasting strength. I need that kind of strength, right? And Psalm eighteen two: The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer for how long forever my god my strength in whom i will trust my shield and the horn of my salvation my stronghold how long forever first corinthians chapter 10 paul talks about how the patriarchs came out of egypt And he says, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. And he likens it as an identification of baptism. He says, we all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all identified with Moses. All ate the same spiritual food. Think about that. People came out of Egypt. They were delivered by the hand of God. And they identified with the leader of God, Moses. And they ate the same spiritual food in the wilderness. The manna that came down. And the quail. And he says all drank the same spiritual drink. And look what he says. He adds this. Because you don't get this out of the Exodus story. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. That's why I believe in the Old Testament has types in other words shadows of a greater to come because apostle paul says that and we read of that again in the book of hebrews this remember they drank water from the rock that rock was a spiritual type of christ who gives us eternal life and if we thirst he gives us a quenching for that spiritual thirst forever He warns them, though, he says, but with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Their carcasses fell in the wilderness. And you know, that is what unbelief leads to. And if you want to worry yourself to death, that's the good example right there. That's what people did. They came out of Egypt and they thought, oh man, God's brought us out here into this desert wilderness place to kill us and they gave us Moses you know Moses he can't even speak <laughs> Moses said that of himself he wasn't an eloquent man he he was slow of speech that's what he, he said and he's making us wander around here oh and manna again and again and again right they began to complain and murmur and God said fine you want that your body is going to drop here in the wilderness. You'll never enter into the spiritual place I have for you and the physical place for them, which was, the, was Canaan land. God wants us to trust him. Isaiah 26.3, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. And I like that because that's what he promises. He promises, by the way, peace for anyone whose mind is stayed upon him. Not just a select few or a privileged few or anything like that, but anyone. Isaiah fifty-seven nineteen says, I create the fruit of the lips. Shalom, shalom to him who is far off and to him who is near. Isn't it great? He offers his perfect peace to those afar off, us Gentiles, and he gives it also to those who are near, the Jews. Aren't you thankful for that? says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. And there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. If you remain in your sin, there is no peace. No peace with God, no peace with anyone. He further reiterates in Isaiah 59, 8, The way of peace they have not known, and there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths whoever takes that way shall not know peace. The psalmist said this, depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. That's what we're to do. Sounds like what Paul says when he says, think on these things and he says, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are good report, all that way. And then he goes on to say, and do the things which you saw in me. Uh, And, were to do those things. Pursue that. You say how do I get peace? Well. I would say there's at least four sources. Four sources of peace. The first. Is the. Is the peace that the Savior gives. Because you only get true peace with God. Through Jesus Christ the Savior. John 14.27. Jesus said peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid perfect peace casts out fear isn't that great John 16:33 These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace you want peace you'll find it in the savior in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And that's this whole idea that I say it often and it doesn't come original with me. But in the end we win. Read the rest of the book. Read the end. In the end we win. Because he wins. One of the titles given to Jesus. To give to the Messiah. Isaiah 9.6, right? And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God everlasting father prince of peace you can't have peace without the prince of peace the second source of peace is the spirit of god himself the holy spirit galatians five twenty two says but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace that is one of the fruits of the spirit so you can't have peace in your life, true peace without the Spirit of God at work in your life and yielded to Him. I like that. The next source is the Scriptures themselves. You know the Bible brings peace. I mean, we talked about being our minds being stayed upon Him. The best way we can get our minds stayed upon Him is to be in His Word and knowing about Him and reading His Word. Wow. You know, I often think of that because I think of it like... You know, long-distance relationship. I don't know if you ever had a long-distance relationship, and your your girl, your guy, whatever, wrote you letters. You know, and 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 maybe you were overseas or something like that. I don't know. Some some people are over. No, maybe it, if it's not the one next to you, don't don't mention it. Okay, I just say that. But I, I say that. And maybe you were over there, and you're worried. Oh, maybe maybe my girl doesn't love me anymore, or my my parents, or whatever. Whoever wrote to you, you know. They, they, something's not right and, maybe they, and your mind starts to wander and then you, you get a letter in the mail and you pick it up and you read it and it, it's not a dear John letter but a I love you John letter you know and, and, and you read that and it reaffirms what you already know but maybe those doubts are now pushed aside because you have something written well we have something far greater than that we have the written word of God that endures forever And what he conveys to us in specific revelation helps push aside all the worries and fears and doubts and all those things that creep in. And we let them creep in. But if you're not in this book, those things will find a place in your life. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. Oh, amen to that. Nothing causes them to stumble to stumble and then the fourth and last thing is that peace is produced by our submission sometimes we're just not at peace with the lord and everybody around us because we don't want to submit to him we wrestle with him i think of jacob when he wrestled with god he he wrestles with a man he he realizes later as he's wrestling that it's the lord himself he's wrestling with what a futile thing you know, think about that wrestling all night. I can't imagine wrestling. I I used to wrestle in high school, and the last I think I went like six minutes once, and I just about threw up because it was so much wrestling against another man, a young young man. And 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 I'm thinking Jacob was so stubborn. He wrestled with God all night, and as he thinks he's prevailing, he says, "Lord, bless me." And God touches his thigh, and ever since then, Jacob would walk with a limp. He would be different for having wrestled with God. And by the way, he could never have beaten God in a wrestling match. Really what it was is Jacob wrestled long enough to realize that he had to submit to God. And the rest of his life he had to walk with that limp, a reminder that God wins. He does that. Isaiah 30 verse 15, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. But you would not... See, sometimes we just don't want to submit. And so he says, if you don't want to submit, you won't have these things. We're to walk with him. You know, there was a conditional form of peace in Leviticus. This was given to the Jews, but by practice, it's given to all, really. He says, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, And then attached to that condition to them, he says, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce. The trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage. And the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. And he says, I will give peace in the land. And you shall lie down and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts and the sword will not go through your land. Now I realize he does not convey those physical promises to the Christian um, per se, but the application is the same. When you think about it, we our, our dwelling isn't based upon a covenant with the land, but a covenant with a Savior, a New Testament, written in his blood, and he's promised a place for us. And when this world goes totally haywire or they take up the sword and they want to cut your head off or whatever else he can give you peace in the midst of that and someone who is is situated in such a way like that if someone was to even to come to them and say listen we're going to kill you because we don't like what you have and what you are as a Christian we're going to kill you because of that you know what for that kind of Christian that's trusting in the Lord you don't let someone take your life but rather you give your life because that's what you're doing and as we live for the Lord we're doing the same thing thankfully he doesn't call many of us to have to give our life as a martyr but rather to live for him now and to to do that and to live like we are people who trust him he gives us peace he will give us that aspect of understanding in his perfect will we are in the safest place we could ever be The most fruitful place we could ever be. And we won't worry about the rest. We'll trust him. Because he gives that perfect peace. Let's pray.